Hello, and thanks for tuning in to Sustainable Brown Girl on WQEE 99.1, right here in Noonan. I'm your host, Ariel Green. This show exists to provide representation for women of color in the environmental space, to highlight their stories, and to educate the masses about how to be more eco-friendly every day. Last week, we talked about the slogan, Reduce, Reuse, Recycle, and how, although that's a good starting place to being more conscious about our waste, there are more R's to help us along the way. If you missed it, you can catch up on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play by searching for Sustainable Brown Girl. Today, I want to talk more about the meaning behind the name Sustainable Brown Girl. So I've talked before about why I started this platform, but just a quick recap. When I started my sustainable journey, I watched so many videos on YouTube, read countless blogs, and followed several Instagram accounts to learn more about climate change. While doing all of this research, I realized that most of the people at the forefront of the environmental movement didn't look like me. But after digging a bit deeper, I found so many women of color who were making a positive impact on the planet in their own unique way. So I started the Sustainable Brown Girl blog and podcast to highlight these women's stories and the incredible work they're doing. The main goal of starting this platform was to provide representation for other women of color to know that they're needed in the environmental space and that they're not alone. However, as I became more and more educated about climate change, I learned that communities of color will be among the first to experience the damaging effects. The Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, has said that African Americans and those with low income will bear the brunt of climate change. And one of the most noticeable effects of climate change is the occurrence of natural disasters. It's becoming very apparent that climate change is real and immediate. For example, this past summer, there were record-breaking heat waves and droughts in the northwestern part of the U.S. In the eastern part of the U.S., Hurricane Henry made its way to New York, causing record rainfall and flooding of the city. Last winter, there was a freak snowstorm and extreme cold weather, causing power outages for over a week in Texas. And last year, California experienced record-breaking wildfires. To be exact, five out of California's 10 worst fires of all time happened in 2020. At this point, there's no doubt that climate change is real and immediate. As the level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere rises, the temperature of the Earth also rises. Of course, the temperature of the Earth has always fluctuated but the rate at which it has risen in the last 200 years is significantly high. While climate change will affect every living being on this planet in one way or another, according to an article published by Princeton University titled Racial Disparities and Climate Change, says, Climate change disproportionately affects those who suffer from socioeconomic inequalities, including many people of color. 
I was just watching a special on PBS by Robbie Chavez that followed up with the Lake Charles, Louisiana residents after Hurricane Ida hit about two months ago. There was one man who was still living in a FEMA trailer after Hurricane Laura destroyed dozens of homes last year. You see, in the past 13 months, this area of Louisiana has been hit by Hurricane Laura, followed by Hurricane Delta six weeks later, followed by the aforementioned freezing storm that burst pipes and left thousands of people powerless. This past May, there was a heavy rainstorm that caused major flooding in the city, followed by, most recently, Hurricane Ida, which was just a few months later. One resident's home has flooded three times in the past year and a half. You may have guessed it, but nearly 50% of the residents in Lake Charles are African American, and the poverty rate is at about 23%, which is twice the national average. Low-income Americans are more likely to suffer from the consequences of hurricanes or tropical storms due to the inadequate infrastructure and lack of proper insurance. In a study done by Rice University and the University of Pittsburgh, it was found that white counties saw an increase in average wealth after natural disasters, while predominantly minority counties saw a wealth decrease. In fact, Robert Bullard, a professor of urban planning and environmental policy at Texas Southern University, says the communities of color that faced housing discrimination a century ago now live in areas that are more prone to flooding, urban heat islands, and pollution. It's not just about climate change and natural disasters. It's about environmental justice. According to an article published by Princeton University titled Racial Disparities and Climate Change, it defines environmental racism as the unequal access to a clean environment and basic environmental resources based on race. Communities of color are disproportionately victimized by environmental hazards and are, for, and are far more likely to live in areas with heavy pollution. First of all, poor air quality. 68% of Black Americans live within 30 miles of a coal plant which is one of the biggest sources of carbon pollution. Exposure to poor air quality can cause numerous health problems, such as asthma. Black children are 10 times more likely to die as a result of asthma complications compared to white children. Lower-income communities also have limited access to green space. Green spaces like parks and trees help clean the air of pollution, and they lower temperatures in cities. Housing segregation has trapped Black and brown families in neighborhoods with very little shade and often limited access to cars and air conditioning. Actually, studies show that Black Americans in cities are 50% more likely to die during a heat wave compared to their white peers. In California, for example, record heat waves and droughts are affecting Latino communities hardest throughout the state. Not only do droughts cause water shortages that affect residents, but it also has an impact on fruit and vegetable crops. 
the state's farmers have seen their crops shrink from lack of water, and many Latino farm workers are scrambling to get enough hours to earn a livable wage. According to Mario Santanoyo of the California Water Coalition, Latinos are the first to be displaced from jobs, and they'll often be among the last to recover economically. Indigenous nations are also being affected by climate change. Several Alaskan and Pacific Northwest Native communities that have long lived on traditional hunting and fish efforts have seen an unprecedented drop in their food supply because of rising temperatures wreaking havoc on fish and wildlife. And many Alaskan Natives may have to relocate entire villages due to thawing permafrost caused by rising temperatures. And that's just in the U.S. In fact, for years now, environmentalists and scientists have been warning that poorer countries with very low carbon footprints are bearing the brunt of carbon dioxide emissions. We're talking about Black and brown people living in the global South, places like South America, the southern part of Africa, Southeast Asia, India, and Australia. As highlighted in the latest Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC, report, one of the primary threats to human life as a result of climate change is food insecurity, especially in the global south, where people rely on small-scale agriculture and are more vulnerable to droughts, flooding, and extreme weather. Rising temperatures imply an increased risk of livestock and crop disease, and rainfall patterns are changing and becoming more unreliable, leaving small farmers unsure about what to plant or when to harvest. All of these issues will lead to people having to leave their native lands in search of areas that will hopefully be able to provide clean drinking water, ability to grow food, and a safe place to live. If you recall the earlier story of the Lake Charles, Louisiana residence home that had flooded three times in the last year and a half, well, the owner is in the process of going through a governmental buyout of her home. So she's having to leave her home due to extreme weather events. In some ways, this woman could be considered a climate refugee. According to the UN Refugee Agency, potential climate refugees are living in climate hotspots where they typically lack the resources to adapt to an increasingly hostile environment. The domino effect of disaster upon disaster triggered by climate change battering already impoverished communities leaves them no time to recover. It's estimated that an average of 20 million people each year are having to move to other areas of their countries or even cross borders to seek refuge from climate change. That number is only expected to rise in the coming years. In episode 31 of the Sustainable Brown Girl podcast, I spoke to Jasmine Sanders, a climate scientist, strategist, and advocate from Monroe, Louisiana. I'm going to share a clip of our conversation about climate change 
and how it affects communities of color around the world. I didn't really get into climate change and environmentalism until I was older. Um, I grew up saying I wanted to be a doctor. And it was when life changed in 2005 when Hurricane Katrina hit the shores of Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. for me, it was about seeing all of the devastation um, be showcased around the world through news clips. You know, people all of a sudden becoming aware to the levels of poverty within New Orleans and realizing for the first time ever that it's not just a good time. You know, it's not just Mardi Mm -hmm. Gras. And it was seeing people flee away from their homes due to a climatic disaster. Um, Many of them, in fact, over 1 million people displaced by Hurricane Katrina alone. Um, Over 40% of them did not return back to their home, not even their city. Um, So this is something that really shook something up inside of me. And at that time, it was how can I help? I realized that I didn't want to be in the medical field. And so I convinced my parents, I want to study marine biology, but not just study marine biology. I want to leave the country to study marine biology. So I was in Indonesia, loving life, uh, diving three times a day. You know, it was absolutely beautiful. But what really got me was the sociocultural aspect of it. And it was working with the Bajo people. Um, Bajo people are also known as water nomads. For decades, they had lived on their boats. That was their culture. That was their way of life. They did not live on land. Um, Unfortunately, there have been some very controversial government programs that have come out that have forced them to, they can no longer live on their boat. Um, They have to live on a piece of land, um, but they don't have the same citizenship rights. So talking to them about this, talking to them about what's going on in the ocean. Um, I had older generations, um, people in their 80s and 90s able to tell me, Jasmine, there's no more fish in the sea. When Mm -hmm. I was growing up, there were so many fish in the sea, so many different types of fish. Because if you imagine, if you live on a coast or you live on an island, what are you eating? You're eating fish all of the time. Right. Um, When I was there, we didn't eat different types of fish. We ate tuna, cooked any sort of way that you can think of it being cooked three times a day. That's what I ate. I mean, it was very healthy, but like I wanted a variety, you know, (laughs) you know, and then you had little kids. Uh, I worked a lot with, they were a group of girls at that time. They were like seven to 12 years old. And a lot of them wanted to go off to the big Island to go to college and study conservation and marine biology and bring back to the village sustainable best practices. Um, These are the things that little kids are wanting and little girls are wanting to do. It was very inspirational, actually, Mm -hmm. for um, for me. You know, the sociocultural aspect of things for me is very important. We have to humanize the issue of climate change. I guess for context, one thing I should say is It was also a connecting point for me in Indonesia because I was seeing another community of color be disproportionately impacted by climate change. People here in America do not see everything around the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Here in America, we have um, frontline communities. Frontline communities are communities of color, low-income communities, coastal communities, and those are all disproportionately impacted by 
the intersectional effects of climate change. You also have different demographics who are affected. So this is from women um, to children, to the elderly, to disabled, um, LGBTQ+, um, to your socioeconomic status. Um, This makes you more vulnerable. But the thing is, the same communities who are disproportionately impacted by climate change are disproportionately impacted by all of these social justice issues. When I'm speaking to other Black women, for example, um, you know, people people from back home and they're like, Jasmine, talk to us about climate change. And I'm like, well, this is why you need to care because there's a complete link between African-American women having higher percentages of premature births, miscarriages, um, and that is due to climate change. Why is mm-hmm. that? That's because we are more likely to live in areas or work in areas that are higher pollution um, and sit by a landfill, um, not enough accessibility to sustainable practices. Um, and so it's affecting our health, which then affects the fetus and the baby's health. That's mm-hmm. why we need to care. This is an intersectional issue. It's not just affecting the environment. It's, check- it's affecting our finances it's affecting our housing, our food insecurity, where we live, if we have to migrate. It's affecting the sociocultural perspectives and the racial tensions. It's affecting all of it. And this is why you hear people say climate justice is racial justice, is housing justice, is immigrant justice. That's why you hear all of that, because it's completely intertwined. I love Jasmine's story so much because she has experienced pretty much everything that I've talked about thus far. She's lived through Hurricane Katrina, which many scientists believe was such an extreme event due to climate change. Jasmine has seen poor brown communities in the global South experience food insecurity due to climate change. She also confirmed that within the U.S., communities of color are more likely to suffer from environmental injustice. So as we're starting to see more and more side effects of climate change, we can unfortunately expect that to trickle down into our communities of color, which means that it's even more important for us to vote and for us to do what we can in our own ways to, you know, help mitigate the effects of climate change. So that's, of course, you know, making sustainable swaps and just trying to spread the word to other people so that we can all collectively come together and do our part. The choices we make matter. While we can't single-handedly stop climate change by drinking from a reusable bottle, but by using that bottle, you're creating less demand for plastic products which not only prevents one more piece of plastic from entering the landfill or ocean, but since plastic is derived from oil, it also creates less demand for oil production, which also can decrease the level of carbon dioxide that's being released into the environment. And maybe we have no choice but to commute to work by car. We can consider buying an electric car next. The huge demand and success that Tesla has created has encouraged other automakers to also develop electric cars. 
at the end of the day, even if we feel like our vote doesn't matter because politicians will do whatever the hell they want to do, our dollars do matter. The individual choices that we make do matter. Capitalism runs on supply and demand. In the sustainability community, we talk a lot about making sustainable swaps and, you know, using your reusable water bottles and using your tote bags and just making these small changes to reduce your impact on the planet, reduce how much waste you're producing. And really, it's a win-win in the end. So many sustainable swaps are money savers. They're better for your health or your home. And they add a unique or personal touch to your routines. When you're more sustainable, I feel like you're moving away from the throwaway culture and your reusable items that you use every single day have a story and a history. And I think it's so much fun. However, there are times in which you need to buy something new, especially when you're just starting on your sustainable journey. We're often quick to run to Amazon for pretty much anything, but there are other options to easily purchase eco-friendly alternatives. My favorite place to shop is EarthHero.com, where sustainable living is made simple. Earth Hero has everything you need to get started and maintain an eco-friendly lifestyle. From reusable produce bags, to cleaning supplies, to clothing and phone cases, to organic makeup and hair care, they even have products for our furry friends. So before you shop anywhere else for Earth-friendly products, check Earth Hero first and use the code SUSTAINABLEBROWNGIRL for 10% off your purchase. By using this promotion, I do receive a bit of commission, which goes towards keeping us on the air. Again, that's EarthHero.com with 10% off using the code SUSTAINABLEBROWNGIRL. I said at the beginning of this show that I wanted to talk about what it means to be a sustainable brown girl. For many of us to consider ourselves to be sustainable brown girls like myself and Jasmine Sanders, we realize that people of color have already seen the damaging effects of climate change. We know that our communities will be hit first and the hardest. We also realize that we come from cultures that are innately sustainable by living from the land, protecting natural resources, and just in general, making the most out of the resources we do have access to. As a sustainable brown girl, I strive to raise awareness about climate change and aim to protect vulnerable communities from its effects. Now, I realized that there was a lot of heavy info shared in today's show. Honestly, I don't like talking about climate change often because it can be so depressing and scary. Um, and like I said at the beginning of this show, climate change will affect all of us, whether we're people of color or not. Even if we live in a wealthy, developed nation, we will see the effects if we haven't already. I also realize that I tend to stress individual action rather than governmental policy because we can all vote for people who we think will make good decisions on behalf of the planet, but 
It's not always guaranteed. That's why it's important to not only reduce our waste, but also make our voices heard in our communities, on the local level, as well as holding our elected officials accountable. If you want to volunteer with environmental or social organizations, join protests, or even send an email to your senator, do it. At the end of the day, applying pressure to lawmakers, and even better, running for office ourselves, will hopefully lead to better policies that will mitigate or, at the very least, prepare us for the effects of climate change. So to end this episode, let's discuss what climate policies have recently been enacted. In August, President Biden signed an executive order setting a target that half of all new vehicles sold in the U.S. in 2030 will be zero-emission cars. Canada has set a goal for all new cars and trucks to be zero-emission by 2035. Starting in 2024, California will ban the sale of electric lawnmowers and leaf blowers. Apparently, an hour using a gas leaf blower makes as much pollution as driving a Toyota Camry 1,100 miles. So this policy is a big deal. Across the pond, France will ban nearly all plastic packaging on fruits and vegetables starting in January 2022. This is in addition to the single-use plastic bag ban that has been in effect in France since 2016. Of plastic bag bans, developing countries are actually more likely to outright ban certain types of plastic bags since they're dealing with the mismanagement of plastic waste more. So 77 countries around the world have actually passed some sort of full or partial ban on plastic bags, with Africa being the majority of those countries. So hopefully in the coming months or years, we will see more countries banning plastic bags in addition to the entirety of the U.S., hopefully one day. The last bit of climate-positive news that I want to share is that more and more companies are pledging to be climate-neutral. This week, for instance, Panera announced their commitment to be climate-positive by 2050, meaning that they will remove more carbon from the atmosphere than it emits. Two years ago, Amazon started the Climate Pledge, which challenges companies to achieve net zero carbon emissions by 2040. Some other businesses that have signed the pledge are PepsiCo, Procter & Gamble, Deloitte, Nespresso, Microsoft, and Unilever, just to name a few. So some companies are trying to hold themselves accountable for reducing their emissions and impact on the planet. It would be nice if we could get there faster than 2040 or 2050, but I think only policy changes will help push businesses further. So while there is a lot left to be desired, it's good to know that there is progress being made in the way of climate-positive policies. So again, let's stay involved and stay educated 
and keep spreading the word. Let's keep doing our part big and small. If you want to keep the conversation going, follow me at Sustainable Brown Girl on Instagram and Facebook. Check out the website at sustainablebrowngirl.com and send me any questions, comments, or topic ideas to sustainablebrowngirl at gmail.com. You can catch up on the full episodes of the Sustainable Brown Girl podcast on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or YouTube. Until next week, let's continue to make better choices for the health of our planet and the health of our bodies. Thanks for listening.